Well, good evening, brethren. Last week, uh, we covered how the new covenant is so much more glorious than the old covenant. Uh, in the old covenant, the, the Israelites were not offered salvation or eternal life. Uh, and so why is the new covenant more glorious? Well, the new covenant is more glorious because in the new covenant, we have the promise of God's Holy Spirit, of us being begotten sons of God. There is forgiveness of sins. There is the promise of eternal life. There is the hope of the resurrection. And there is the ability in this life to repent, change through God's power, the power of his spirit. And, uh, and therefore, we're talking about a spiritual element which is crucial and makes the difference in this new covenant. We studied up to, <coughs> up here, pardon, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. However, to pick up uh, the context, let us review a few points, uh, starting from verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, this ministry of the new covenant, which is much more glorious, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We don't surrender. We don't give up. We keep going on and on and fighting and striving to overcome uh, in spite of difficulties and trials. We ought to keep coming on. And so then he goes on in verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. You know, brethren, regrettably, um, many people do things wrong. And then to hide those things, they lie. They give um, false witness. They paint the story. They just give a slant to the story, and that is very subtle. Uh, and that is basically with the intent of hiding or concealing. But he says here in verse 2, we have renounced the hidden things of shame. We have changed. We, we stopped. And, um, and so he says, not walking in craftiness, and that is in subtlety to hide uh, these wrong things nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Uh, in other words, we're not peddling the word of God. Uh, in the previous study, we covered in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, for we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God. We are not adulterating the truth. We're not twisting it. There's a, a very interesting scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, let's go there. And I'm going to read verse 3 and 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, 
nor was it in deceit. So again, the same sort of concept. And then he says, but as we have been approved by God, we, as God's people, and we as God's ministers, have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. That is a very, very high responsibility that we as God's ministers, we have been entrusted by God with his good news, with the gospel. In other words, that's a sacred trust that we receive from God. And we as God's people, and particularly as the ministers of God, of Jesus Christ, we have an enormous responsibility to ensure that we do not break this trust that has been given to us by the Father. So let's continue then. Oh, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah but uh, continue yeah, in verse 4. Uh, second first uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4 it says to be entrusted with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God who tests our hearts God is testing our hearts now why are so few so few people in the church why are we so few well because it's few that God has called. Sees many are called, but few are chosen. So proportionate to the whole world, in fact, it is few, even though God calls many, but even less are chosen. And even less, less are entrusted. So why are so few? Because God has decided to allow mankind to go through the bitter lesson of experience you know mankind has had to experience every form of government every possible form of religion religion or religious deception why because we have to learn by experience that is the best teacher so continuing where we were reading in uh, second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Now we read in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, <clears throat> our gospel, even if our the good news of this, of the kingdom of God through what Christ has done, is veiled. Now remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. We, we read, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So, even if we haven't repented, that's what it says. And then we go there. But we have renounced it as well. And even if our gospel is veiled, is veiled to whom? Those who have not repented. It is veiled to those that are unrepentant. Then it says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Why are they perishing? 
because they're not repenting, they're not changing. You see, God could have forced his way. God could have uh, said, right, this is where we're going to be, and you all have to follow this way in a very strict, uh, let's call it, approach or menu. So he could have forced his way. But he knows that if he would have done that, in the end, the outcome would be less people in the kingdom of God. God knows better. And he knows that through the bitter lessons of experience that we learn the hard way, he knows that ultimately, at the end, there'll be more people in his kingdom because he wants everyone to come to repentance. So there's a basic framework in which, in which or under which everything hangs. There's, it's like a big structure. And that framework is God's plan and his purpose. His purpose is to have many sons and daughters in his kingdom. And he has a plan, a framework. And that framework, which obviously, as we know, is explained by God's holy days, but that framework is based on some very important principles. Number one, free moral agency. God will never take from us free moral agency. We have to learn and learn ourselves through ourselves with the help of God's Holy Spirit. But we have to learn, we have to, to have our hearts tested so that our minds and our hearts are completely close to God. It is absolutely vital. And so that is one of the basic tenets of God's plan, free moral agency. Another very important tenant that people do not understand is that this today is not the only day of salvation. God is working with people in his own time. He's got a timetable. And therefore, today, today, in this age, God is not, is not trying to save more souls. This is important for us to understand. Because that is the kind of thinking that the Protestant world has. We've got to preach the gospel now. We've got to preach the gospel now to save more souls. Now, obviously, God wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to come to repentance. We know that in Romans 2. It says that very clearly. God's grace and mercy and patience is so that we all come to repentance. But 
we do not preach the gospel to the whole world to save more souls. This is important for us to understand. Matthew 24, 14, let's just turn to there and, and read it carefully. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom, of the kingdom of God, this good news of the kingdom of God, that Christ will come, Christ will rule, Christ will be the king and the Lord, and he's going to rule, and we're going to have God's kingdom on earth, ruling on earth over human beings, which have to then develop and grow. This good news of the coming kingdom of God to come and rule on earth, this good news, right? It says, yeah, will be preached in all the world. It does not say, it does not say to save more souls. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all world just before Christ's coming. And the purpose and the outcome is not designed to save more souls. Oh yes, the final outcome is that. But the purpose why the gospel is being preached today is as a witness to all nations. So that when these things come, they can't say, well, but nobody told us. And then the end will come. Brethren, the end is very, very near. The end is very, very near. So let's continue now in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, uh, verse 3 says, our gospel is veiled. People don't get it, don't understand it. Those that are perishing because they're not repenting, they don't understand this gospel because the gospel is being preached as a witness. Yes, it will be ultimately when Christ comes, you will be ruling to save mankind. But that's why Christ is coming to save mankind. <clears throat> but in the meantime, these people that, that the minds are veiled, that their minds are veiled because the God of this age, the God of this world is blocking it, is, is, is causing the people not to see like a veil with the way the society is structured, with things the way things are. You know, he has blinded people who do not believe. Really, people in the world don't really believe in the true God, who Christ is, the power of God, what God is doing through his power. They don't believe in these important things. Oh, yeah, they got a bit of this and a bit of that, but they don't understand and don't believe that they got to change, that they got to completely repent, that they got to obey God. For instance, they got to keep the Sabbath. They got to keep God's holy days. Oh, no. They have different ideas. You see, so they do not believe. And because of that, their mind is failed. Therefore, 
the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the light, that understanding of what the good news of the glory of Christ, of Christ's glory, who is the image of God, should shine on them, should reflect on them. And so the God of this world, the world's philosophies, the world's way of life is preventing people from understanding this. Now understand <clears throat> that in Colossians 1 verse 13, understand, and let's look at it, Colossians 1 verse 13. Colossians 1 verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. You see, the light does not shine on them. Why? Because they're blinded. The light doesn't shine. It's in complete darkness. But Christ has delivered you and I from the power of darkness. In other words, from Satan's power, he has opened your mind and my mind, and that is a miracle coming from God. He's called us, but it requires us to respond to that calling. It requires action from you and I to respond. And as we respond, as we start acting and living, we understand more and more and more. And so God has delivered us. But yes, you have to, you and I, we have to do our part. And he has conveyed us, he has transferred us, he has transported us, quote unquote, into the kingdom of the son of his love. Oh, what do you mean that? I mean that he has taken our mindsets, our way of thinking into the submission to the laws of the kingdom of God. That's what it is, a kingdom, you know, it, it includes laws, a constitution, the laws, living God's ways, a way of life. He has spiritually, in our way of life, in our way of thinking, in our way of being, is taken us out of this dark world into this kingdom of God, not yet the kingdom on earth, but it is under the king's rules, under the king's authority. He is now our king. He is now our president, let's call that. And we are ambassadors for Christ. Our kingdom is God's kingdom. It's not this nation that you're in or that nation that you may be in. It's God's nation. That is our kingdom. And so he has conveyed us, spiritually speaking, into the submission of that rule, into his rule, which is the kingdom of his son, uh, of his love, God's love for him, in whom we have redemption. We have our bodies are brought back from death <coughs> through his blood, through giving his life, his blood. 
his sinless life he gave for us as a sin offering for us the forgiveness of sins that is a blessing and that is good news and that is good news that mankind did not understand until christ did it and that's why paul and others had to preach the gospel of jesus christ which is what he has done which is part of the gospel of the kingdom but a key part a crucial part christ verse 15 is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation this the word firstborn has sometimes triggers a few people uh, traps people going they're thinking into the wrong direction but if you read that in verse 18 it's talking about the firstborn from the dead protocols from the dead the first one first human being christ that died and was resurrected and it was the firstborn from the dead of all creations of all human beings he was the firstborn that came from the dead so what what he means is that you and i are being transformed are being changed by by being conveyed or transported into this spiritual rule government that we are being transformed through the power of god's holy spirit that christ sent us once he says sat at the right hand of the father on the day of pentecost he sent us his spirit he founded or initiated the church of god through the power of his spirit and through that we are being transformed into the same image because of christ and christ is the image of the father into the same nature into the same character we are being transformed to be christ-like we are being changed into the spiritual image of god daily daily we are becoming more and more like god in our thinking and in our actions hopefully right that's what we should be doing um, we should be moving into a new way of life see the world religion carries a little bit of baggage and in this world what we follow is a way of life it's a way of life that is what is godliness all about is to become like god it's a way of life we are in the process of becoming like god we're becoming children of god and so continuing now uh, it says uh, in verse 4 of chapter 4 of second corinthians whose minds the god of this age has blinded those who do not believe lest the light of the good news of the glory of christ which is the glory that we are to inherit that should be in us it should shine in us he is the image of god and that light should shine on us and then this is the wonderful ministry of the new covenant compared to the ministry of the old covenant and so paul goes on and says 
we, for we, do not preach about myself, about ourselves, but we preach about Christ Jesus, the Lord. He is the author. He is the kurios. He is the supreme authority. We do that. And we preach ourselves as bond servants of Christ and of the brethren. For Jesus' sake. For the sake of his family, of his purpose, of his goal, why he's doing it, and for his glory and honor. Verse 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Well, this is another important point. Uh, has confused some people. I've seen some people got confused about that. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you see, God the Father commanded physical light to shine. Now, this has confused people. Now, obviously, it was Christ who created everything, right? In Colossians chapter 1, Verse 16, we were there a moment ago. We were reading Colossians chapter 1. We read verse 13 through 15, that he is the image, verse 15, of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. And verse 16, for by him, that's by Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visibly invisible where the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, everything on earth and in heaven, visible and invisible. That means human beings, that means animals, everything was created by Christ and in heaven, which means angelic realm, angels, and thrones and dominions and principalities or powers in the angelic realm were created by Jesus Christ. He says, all things we create through him, that is Christ, and for him. What do you mean through him? It's like, if you are the owner of a business, and the owner has a manager, and the owner gives commands or instructions to the manager, to do certain things, the manager is then, let's call it, the chief executive officer, the one that does and speaks what the owner commanded him to say. And that's exactly what Christ has done. He has spoken what the Father commanded him to say. Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12 verse 49 and 50 john chapter 12 verse 49 and 50 it says for i have not spoken of my own authority christ saying i have not spoken of my own authority but the father who sent me 
gave me a command. What I should say and what I should speak. It's the Father that commanded and Christ spoke under authority. Christ is a being under authority, under the authority of the Father, and he did what the Father told him to do. And he says, and I know that his command is everlasting life. The Father's command, intent, the final purpose is everlasting life for all of us. Therefore, whatever I speak, Christ said, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And so the Father commanded, and Jesus Christ spoke, and it was so. We read that, for instance, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And it says, yeah, God spoke. And it says, then God, Elohim, spoke, which means plural, the Father and then uh, the Son. At uh, that time was the the highest and the word, God and the word, uh, they, they spoke, said, obviously, who did the speaking was Christ, as we see him. Who gave the command to speak was the Father. So God said, in plural, they said, let there be light, and there was light. But the spokesman, the one that actually did the speaking was Christ. And so God said, there's two eternal beings the Father and the Son, two separate beings. But one is in complete submission to the other, as we'd say, a man under authority. So he's in complete submission to the other. So the Father commanded, and Jesus Christ spoke. So going back now to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, for it is the God, the Father, who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Yes, but it was Christ that spoke it under the instruction of that command, as we've seen. And it is God, therefore, who commanded light to shine. It is the same God who has shown, caused it to shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the Father commanded, Jesus Christ spoke, and just like the Father commanded light, and Christ spoke for light to appear, the Father shone his spiritual light in our hearts, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And we ought to have that glory fully, Yes, we ought to have that glory fully, not, not at the same degree as the Father and as the Son, but we are to have the glory of the family of God, as children of God. And that is now shining through Jesus Christ's face. That's what it says, of the glory of God shining through or in the face of Jesus Christ. So it's just like Moses in the Old Covenant, the glory of God was shining in his face. Now, through Christ, it shines in our hearts. It is through Christ that we receive 
that we understand knowledge, true knowledge. It is through Christ that we're going to be co-heirs of what he's going to inherit. It is through Christ that we receive mercy and redemption and forgiveness of sins. Verse 7. But we have this treasure. It's this knowledge. This knowledge of, 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 of what God is doing through Christ. This is a treasure. This is a diamond. We have this treasure in earthen, earthen vessels. In other words, you and I are a physical body, just like a jar of clay. And when it says um, earthen, it means that it's frail. We have a, a frail body, like clay, is easily broken. It's the body, physically, the clay is cheap, is replaceable. It's like baked clay. And God is going to replace it with a special spiritual body. So it's not a body made of crystal that if you break it, oh, broke this special crystal. No, it's clay. It's temporary. It's frail. And that also brings to mind that salvation is a result a result of god's power of god's holy spirit and so you and i have this treasure and in this case paul is talking about the ministry he says but we have this treasure this wonderful good news which is a precious treasure in our frail human bodies that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, it's not anything that I've done or you can do uh, to have eternal life. It is what God is going to do. So when we have this frail body, we realize very clearly that it's not because of me or you. We are nothing. We are a piece of dust. So, um, what do we have here? We understand that salvation, eternal life, is a result of God's power. And so, this is a wonderful treasure we have. Uh, we understand that the strength does not come from us, comes from God. And... Uh, and as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, it says uh, <clears throat> that no flesh should glory in his presence. Yeah, we're nobody. So we can't glory. There's nothing for you and I to glory. And as we read in Zechariah 4, verse 6, it says, not by power, not by might, not by my power, 
not by my might, not by my strength, but by the power of God, God's Holy Spirit that God gives us, that helps us to be sanctified. The sanctification of the Spirit helps us to be different, to be sanctified. And so that's what we, um, we realize. It's not us. So continue reading now in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read verse 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, Paul is saying, yeah, we are. We have this ministry, which is a, tr a treasure, which is a golden treasure, right? And, and because of this, we are persecuted. We are, like he says, we have hard, hard troubles on every side, but not crushed. You see, uh, just look at First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen. In verse 13, we read, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the same temptation, the same trials, the same stresses, the same difficulties, will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. To bear it. So, Continue reading in verse 8 and 9 of Second Corinthians chapter 4. It says, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. We see we are very troubled. We are hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We persecuted but not neglected by God. And continuing in verse 10, always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul in his life was in continuous daily danger. He confronted death many times. And then he says, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he, he was in daily uh, situations of, of death that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body because he could see that Christ was intervening for him daily. For we who live are always delivered to death for G Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, yeah, many times they try to kill him. They try to kill him. But he got away from it, showing that he, he, Christ was with him. You see, because he preached the truth of Christ, he was consistently or constantly threatened with death. But he was willing to pay the price so that we, and as brethren, we would have this gospel, we have this good news, so that you and I could have eternal life. Look at verse 12. So then death is working in us, but life 
in you. You see, Paul was willing to confront death for us to have life. Yes, many in the New Testament, early New Testament ministry, died for the gospel. Eleven out of the twelve apostles died. Paul and Barnabas were martyred. You know, Stephen was martyred too, was stoned to death. So, death is working us, but life in you. Verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith, we have this absolute trust according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. Now he's quoting Psalm 116 verse 10. In other words, a man at a trial, he says, I believe. And because I believe, I'm going to say it. He was confident God would deliver him. And he didn't doubt. He believed. Therefore, he spoke. He was not muzzled. He spoke the truth. He was not muzzled. We also believe and therefore speak. Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. <coughs> he was sure. He had no doubt that if and when he would die, and he did die, of course, but when he died, that he knew that God would resurrect him uh, through Christ, through God's power, through God's Holy Spirit, God would resurrect him. For all things are for your sakes. He did it all for our sake, for the sake of the church. Then he says, that grace, it was that the understanding of the good news of the light of, the, of this glory of God should shine on us. This grace, this gracious gift, he says, that grace, having spread through many, may cause thanksgiving, may lead to a lot of us being super grateful. We need to be grateful. And that gratefulness has to abound because what God is doing for us is really worthy every bit of gratitude and thanksgiving. Gratitude for what God is doing through Christ to the glory of God, as it says here at the end of verse 15. Therefore, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, this is the second time he says this. He said so also. In verse 1, in verse 1 says, says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, this wonderful treasure that we've received, we do not lose heart. We don't surrender. And he says, now, we are hard-pressed. We are challenged. But we've got this hope of the gospel, of the light of Christ shining in us. Therefore, we don't give up. This is a precious ministry, this new covenant ministry. It's a glorious ministry, far better than the old 
covenant ministry. You see, this physical body, this earthen vessel, with this great treasure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is part of the gospel of the kingdom of God, and as we are physical bodies, we do get old. We do get old because he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward body, our outward man is perishing. Physically, this earthen vessel, this body, this physical body, as we get older, we start having more aches and pains. But inwardly, inside, inwardly, is being renewed day by day. Inwardly, we should be stronger, spiritually speaking, day by day. Yes, Paul wore himself out in the ministry. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 24. It says, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in awareness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. You see, he wore himself out physically in the ministry. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. And let's jump to verse 8. In by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, it was they were false accused, as unknown yet well known, as dying and behold, we live as chastened and yet not killed. Verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, and as having nothing yet possessing all things. Paul could have lost art. Paul could have become discouraged. Paul could have said, this is unfair. But he didn't get discouraged. He didn't lose art. Why? Because he was being renewed spiritually in inward man day by day. Spiritually, he was being renewed daily. And so what did we have? A new creation was taking place. And so continue, yeah, uh, read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, as we read before, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image 
from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're being transformed into the image of Christ, into God's nature, into God's character, into being Christ-like, being changed into the spiritual image of God daily. We're becoming more like God. It's a way of life, as I mentioned before. We are in the process of becoming more like God. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we read Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Read, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in us. He gave himself for me, for you, for us. He says, yeah, he gave himself for me. He gave himself for you, for us. We are to become Christ-like. We are to be renewed daily by prayer and Bible study and occasional fasting, by living God's way, by dying daily. Our physical passions allow that to die because our growth, our spiritual growth, must be constantly occurring every day. And so now Paul summarizes in verse 17 and 18, he says, he says, yeah, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for our light affliction. Well, after we read these things, what he went through, it surely was not light affliction, but he calls it light affliction because to him, it was like nothing compared to the glory that is to come. To him was like a wayless feather, even though it was intense pressure. But he was looking at living forever in glory versus this affliction. And to him, this is nothing. To him, this was a light affliction. The resurrection, the kingdom of God, the glory beyond, far outweighs our current trials. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, Romans 8, verse 17 and 18, it says that if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, if, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's not to be compared. And so continue reading in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. You see, he's not looking at the physical, he's not looking at the material, but he's looking at God, which is not seen. He's looking at Christ, which you can't, I can't see today. He's looking at God's Holy Spirit, at God's power, at, at, at the future spirit world, because that is real. It can't be destroyed. It's eternal. Our physical can be destroyed, even though we can see it today. It's temporary. And that's why I say, while we don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Brethren, endurance in this Christian race, in this life that you and I are in, is based on being able to look beyond the present to the coming kingdom of God. Life is only temporary for a season. But we have the power of God. We have God's Holy Spirit. We have Christ with us. We have the angelic realm that he puts around us to protect us. And therefore we need to look forward beyond to the future. If we look at this life today, we become discouraged. But understand that trials, yes, are necessary to make us better people, to make us like God, to develop godly, holy, righteous character. In other words, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.